Did you know that you can get this same great episode of the Rural Woman Podcast ad-free? I get it. Listening to ads during a podcast isn't always my favorite either, but in order to keep the lights and coffee pot on here at the Rural Woman Podcast Studios, they are necessary. I am so grateful to each and every one of my sponsors, but if you yourself would like to skip the ads while supporting the show, consider joining me over on Patreon. Patrons of the Rural Woman Podcast get ad-free episodes starting at Tier 5 on their podcast player of choice each week, plus some other great benefits. Find out more by heading to the link in today's show notes to learn how you can become a patron through Patreon. Hi, I'm Caitlin Dubin, and this is the Rural Woman Podcast. I'm a first-generation farmer who married into agriculture. Born and raised in a city, I was so unfamiliar with where my food came from, but I was determined to figure it out. Through my journey into agriculture, I saw women who were strong but humble, often taking a back seat. To me, these women were leaders who deserved a seat at the table. I created the Rural Woman Podcast to share the voices of women in an industry whose stories often went untold. The rural entrepreneurs who live and breathe their work, full of grit and pride. We come here to share our stories, to be in community with each other, to be challenged and inspired, but most importantly, to be celebrated and to be heard. We may not all live, farm, ranch, or homestead the same, but we are all connected. We are rural women, and our stories are worthy of being told. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. Today, you'll meet Kate Cavanaugh. Kate is an entrepreneur, farmer, butcher, nutrition therapist, and host of the Mind, Body, and Soil podcast. Kate has seen firsthand the power of meat to heal her own body, and in seeking out farmers and ranchers raising meat, she found the power of meat to heal the land too. In 2013, she opened Western Daughters Butcher Shop in Denver, Colorado, with her now husband Josh, where they source grass-fed and pasture-raised whole animals from local regenerative farmers and ranchers. Before we get to our interview with Kate, I want to say a warm welcome and hello to Andrea F. Andrea has joined in financially supporting the show through Patreon. Member support like Andrea's ensures the stories of women in agriculture are celebrated and shared through the Rural Woman podcast. If you would like to join Andrea and the rest of the patrons who support the show, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com and learn more about how you can become a patron through Patreon. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Kate. Kate, welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast. How are you today? Oh, I'm good. I'm so it's such an honor to be here with you. And so that makes today wonderful. I am I'm equally as honored to be chatting with you and to get to know you better and to share your story because it's a complex one and it's it's pretty freaking cool from what I know. So for the listeners who are unfamiliar with you, Kate. Tell us who you are, where you're from, and how you got your start in agriculture. 
Yeah, well, my name is Kate Cavanaugh, and I was born and raised a city slicker like you. And I was I was born in Denver, Colorado, and I think from an early age I was seeking a different level of connection, and that really that really was the guiding force behind my journey that eventually led me into agriculture. And I started out a very young vegetarian. Uh, when I was five, I made the decision to be a vegetarian, and my my parents supported me. And I think that a lot of that was from a sort of disconnect with where my food came from. And I think a lot of us as city slicking kids have experienced this this disconnect of not understanding exactly where our food comes from and how how it moves from farm to table. And I carried that vegetarianism with me for a long time. I carried it with me until I was about 20 years old. And when I was 20, I was having a lot of health issues, was experiencing a really low energy, a lot of fatigue, a lot of depression and anxiety, some gut health issues. And I just had this little voice at the back of my head that kept calling me to go back to meat and eating meat. And I finally decided to listen to it and wanted to be closer to any meat that I was going to eat, having had this this background with being a vegetarian. And so I started visiting farms and ranches. I was living in Phoenix, Arizona at the time, and I didn't know very much about agriculture, but I was very curious. And I think just in a single spring, when I started eating meat, I visited maybe a dozen ranches to get to know people better. And what I found there were incredible stories. And I was instantly hooked. I knew that I wanted to be a part of this world in whatever way I could. And that led me to being a butcher. That was that was the way that I felt I could best connect in those early years. And in that, I really wanted to connect both rural and urban environments. And that felt like a really good middle ground to me of getting this chance to experience the stories of people in the city and the stories of the farmers and ranchers that I was getting to know in more rural environments and getting to share those, swap those stories sort of across the aisle. And I opened up a butcher shop with my husband in Denver, Colorado in 2013 called Western Daughters. And that's started me off on a whole journey. We uh, started working in what I think would now be termed regenerative agriculture. wasn't really called that in 2013 when we got started. And we also really started looking at human health in conjunction with this. And I went back to school to become a nutrition therapist and to kind of marry these two concepts of land health and human health. And it led right into my own little journey with my own small farm homestead here in upstate New York. I told you all that it was a very interesting and compelling story from the age of five being a vegetarian to a young 20-year-old becoming a butcher. Like that is the full 180 if there ever was one. Yeah, it really was. I'm curious. I know you obviously made the decision when you were quite young, but do you remember what it was exactly that made you decide that you were no longer going to eat meat anymore? I do. I do. And it's a little bit silly, I think, looking back at it from being a 34-year-old. But I was five and I, I really loved the movie Babe. 
and I had been watching it over and over again. And I was at school and I was eating my school lunch and it was a hot dog and I lost my tooth in this hot dog and swallowed it, right? Tooth down the hatch. And for some reason, the the influence of these these three things, I connected that that hot dog was a part of the pig I was seeing on the TV. And there was sort of this moment of understanding how connected I was to my food through this lost tooth that had traveled through this hot dog and through me. And it just kind of came together. And I was the kind of kid that saved my allowance to save a Thanksgiving turkey. I was just very, very sensitive, very, maybe a little bit morose. And it all just kind of came together. I can really relate to the very sensitive kid part because I can remember going to the farm in kindergarten. That was our field trip and we got to go. And kind of putting things together that cows made hamburger was something that I was kind of like, well, how Well, how does it get there? But kind of, I don't know, pushing that away because I grew up in Alberta. We are known for Alberta beef. What we had on our dinner table was what we had on our dinner table. I I didn't have the mom that said like, oh, if you don't like this, I'll make you something else. It was like, this is what you have to eat. So I respect that mother, actually. I, right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just find it really fascinating that the connection that we have, and I'll say we have as sensitive beings to animals, I think is a really strong one. And it's something that I've paid more attention to as I've gotten older. And it's like, why do I feel so connected to these animals? And it comes down to these animals don't judge me. They just love me for who I am. And they, when I show up with their, with their dog food or their cat food or the hay for the goats, like they are happy to see me, whether it's me feeding them, anybody else, it doesn't matter. But I feel that connection with them. And I think, you know, that deep connection that people have, and I think that can be said for a lot of people who choose to be vegetarian or vegan or have different eating styles, is that connection that they feel to it. And I think sometimes in agriculture and as farmers and as ranchers, we kind of just look at that as being silly. Like, why would you feel connected to this animal? But I can tell you, I've felt those connections in the past, right? And I still can feel those connections now as an adult, knowing that a lot of these animals have lived their very best life and they just have one no good, very bad day. So... We raise and kill all of our own meat here on the farm. And so everything that I eat throughout the year, I I raised and I slaughtered. And having been a butcher for all this time and talked to so many different people, I think that there's something incredibly intimate about food. And I think that this is something that we put into our bodies, that we physically put into our bodies two to three times a day. And one of the definitions of intimacy is actually a union of particles. And I am fascinated by the idea that 
this conversation that we're having with our food through our biology really only separates when we put something into our mouth, which is technically outside of our body, right? Our digestive tract is continuous with our skin. And so while it's held internally, that still marks the outside of our our body. And there's this boundary of one cell wall between our digestive tract and where food gets absorbed into our bloodstream. And At that moment of absorption, that food becomes a part of us. It becomes a part of our biology. And I think because of that intimacy, those of us that maybe are a little bit more sensitive or that have what I refer to as leakier boundaries with those around us, even even animals, and I notice this a lot with, with my animals and with horses, especially anybody who's worked with horses and kind of feel their leaky boundaries. But there's a real intimacy. And I think that creates a lot of big emotions around what we eat for us. And I think that's why some of these dogmatic dietary camps have sort of risen over the last 10 to 15 years. And we see so much closely held and fraught emotions when it comes to vegan or carnivore or this and that diet. I'm curious when you had made this transition and were looking, you know, pursuing education and becoming a butcher, what was the reaction of people around you and your loved ones that have known you your whole life as the girl who loved babe so much she decided she wasn't going to eat meat anymore. You know, it's funny. I think that a lot of people, while they were surprised by the trajectory that it took, I've always been the kind of person that jumps fully into things and with arms wide open, just wanting to go to the very deep end of the pool and learn everything I can. And so I think in that regard, it did not surprise some of the people that were closest to me. And I did it with, at the time, I I had just met my then boyfriend and now husband. And this was a part of our journey together too. And up until that point, it had really just been me and my mom. I, I think maybe like you, I had one of those childhoods where I had I connected more with animals than I did with people. And part of that enjoyment of walking into the goat barn and feeling no judgment, only only the deep love that comes with giving something hay. <laughs> and so I think that, that there was just an honoring of my process of just being an all-in kind of girl. And what beautiful relationships that you have for that purpose of being all in and people knowing that this is you and this is who you truly are and whatever you do, you're going to give it your all. So you gave it your all, you opened your own butcher shop, which is incredible. So tell us more about Western Daughters. So we opened up Western Daughters in 2013 and we're a whole animal butcher shop. So we work directly with farmers and ranchers and we bring in whole carcasses. So we buy based on hanging weight and we bring it into the shop and we do all the butchering. And this allows us to, first of all, really move the whole animal. I know that as farmers, as ranchers, we're so often left holding all the extra ground meat that when we end up with because people really want the ribeyes or the strips or these sort of, you know, high on the hog type cuts. And so this allowed us to really build a relationship with the people that we were working with. And it also allowed us to shift the yields. So industry standard yields for, for carcasses 
are about 67%. My husband and I get about 87% when we're working at the butcher shop and more when we're doing it for ourselves and our dogs at home. And it was a really unique space to suddenly be thrust into the city talking about meat and all of these different cuts, but also talking about our farmers and ranchers and their incredible raising practices and honestly just their stories. And I think that we share this too is a love of telling stories. And I had this opportunity, you know, with hundreds of customers every day to get to tell the stories of how this meat was being raised and how it made its journey from farm to table. And in return, what ended up happening that I might not have expected is that they shared their stories of what it meant to have a particular pork roast at Christmas or how the liver that they were eating was affecting their fertility journey or the immense connection that their two-year-old found in eating this meat and asked for such and such steak for her birthday and getting to come back to our farmers and ranchers with just what an impact their meat was having. And I think that this was, it was a really beautiful bridge to be building at that time. Absolutely incredible. And you said it perfectly, the, the connection that we have as producers to our animals is one that some people might not understand. Outsiders looking in, thinking, how could you raise this cute calf all the way to however many hundreds of pounds and then watch it leave? And the same could be said for the families who have food on their table versus the families that don't have food on their table. And the stories that can come from that, whether that's good, bad, or otherwise, our connection makes us human and it makes us come together. And it's funny how there's a lot of times where we can think that we are so opposite of one another when really, when it comes down to it, we're essentially made up of the same things, the same parts, and our our connections to things as simple and as vast as food bring us together. So... I think it's because it's simple, right? Like that's that we all eat and we all have this experience of food. So it is a space where we can find some common ground. And I think it also can act as a door for those city slickers that are looking to learn a little bit more. A delicious steak can suddenly be a window into learning about agriculture or learning about soil or learning about water conservation in the West. Whatever that is, it represents an opportunity for connection. Absolutely. You have heard me tell you all about the amazing benefits that come with being a patron of the Rural Women podcast through Patreon, but I wanted to share with you a few testimonials from the patron gang themselves. Patron Annabelle writes, I became a patron so I could enrich my knowledge of the diverse world of agriculture. Although I live and breathe farming and ranching, there is a lot I don't know. I believe learning that how and why people do things will help me improve being a better rancher myself. This podcast also helps with the feeling of isolation. I hear the voices of ladies from all walks of life living a similar life to my own. This type of outreach is not only vital for us in the business, but those wanting to learn about the people growing and raising their food. 
I'm well aware that podcasts take an outstanding amount of time and money to create. So I felt like I, as well as others, can make a small monthly contribution that can help make a long lasting podcast. Join Annabelle and the rest of the patron gang in supporting the stories of women in agriculture to be shared through the Rural Women podcast starting at $2 a month over on Patreon. Visit wildrosefarmer.com slash Patreon to learn more. I'm curious in your nutrition therapy education, what focus is there on animal protein versus plant protein versus any other kind of protein? I think you know, with social media, we're given an opportunity to connect with many people in many different industries. And, you know, when you're talking about food, whether that's in your life or online, you are typically in whatever algorithm is going to push you towards food. And sometimes they can give you alternate ways of people. And protein is such a big topic when it comes to nutrition. So from your nutrition therapy background, the schooling that you've done, what what was focused a lot when it came to protein? Was it animals? Was it plants? Or was it something completely different? So I actually selected a program that was more aligned in a sort of Weston A. Price or more animal-focused nutrition focus because that's so important to me. I, I really believe in the power of and have experienced firsthand when I started eating meat again, the power of what meat can do for our biology. And I know that this is a, this is a hot topic right now. And we see this reflected in a lot of major news outlets. And I think we see some of that curation on our feeds one way or another based on that algorithm. And so I selected something that was really looking at how protein, animal protein in particular, can play a crucial role in support supporting our health and biology as humans. And that's something that I've continued just independently is looking at how we can kind of tease out some of these nuances between animal-based and plant-based protein in a way that people might not expect. And I think one of my favorite things to point at is we often talk about phytochemicals or antioxidants when it comes to plants. And so we'll talk about anthocyanins as being a component of berries, right? Anything that has a, a rich blue color. Or we'll talk about carotenoids when it comes to carrots and sweet potatoes or anything that has an orange color. But one of the things I find the most interesting is there's a lot of research right now looking at those very compounds in meat. And I think for those of us that have worked on prairies and see our meat in a couple of different seasons, a great example of this is that you will see the color of fat on beef change as those phytochemicals inside the grasses that they're eating changes. And so maybe in late October, you'll have beef with a really beautiful deep yellow fat. And maybe if you process some beef in March, the fat will be a lot whiter. And that's going to be indicative of the amount of carotenoids, These this beta carotene, which is a vit vitamin A precursor that is actually pretty hard for us to convert in our bodies, which is why it's great to get it from animals that have already converted it for us. We can see that. We can see that made manifest in the meat. 
And as butchers, you get a really tactile experience of this when you're cutting up meat and you can touch and feel that meat and that fat. But they're, they're showing that animals actually have a deep phytochemical richness that is similar to f- plants. And the work of Dr. Stefan Van Vliet at Utah State and Fred Provenza, who's also at Utah State, is really showing just how rich these are. And so I've spent a lot of time on my podcast and researching, teasing out some of these differences between two proteins, because I think it is increasingly important as we see animal-based protein oftentimes maligned in the media. That leads me perfectly into the next topic that I want to chat with you about. I've always said that as the outsiders coming in, as in the city people coming into agriculture, sometimes we know what they don't know, they being the farmers and ranchers, that city people don't know because there is so many misconceptions out there and people don't know where the misconceptions come from. It's confusing and stories can be told from the perspective of a farmer and they're not coming from the farmer. And it can be very confusing as an urbanite to know what to believe. And then to come on to social media where we as farmers are told to share our stories and we fight amongst each other of who's right and who's wrong. And as a city person, we're kind of like, well, who the hell am I supposed to believe, right? So those are all of the struggles that we can face when it comes to it. But as a city person coming in, you've been in the industry now for 13 years. What have been some of the positive changes that you've seen come out of our industry when it comes to the promotion of animal protein? I think one of the biggest positive changes that I've seen over the last 13 years is a real drive to connect direct to consumer. When I opened the butcher shop 13 years ago, sorry, 10 years ago, something really interesting was happening where people were beginning to become interested to connect with farmers and ranchers. From a city slicker perspective, everybody was getting their meat at the grocery store and they were shopping at a butcher counter that was maybe even unmanned without a person to talk to and just selecting these cuts in these vacuum sealed or plastic wrapped packages without much of a thought to where those might have come from. And what I've really seen is a desire from that consumer perspective to actually connect with a farmer or a rancher to buy their meat. And I see this increasingly, and I think it comes in a lot of different forms. I think it comes in consumers wanting to go to farms and ranches to get to see practices firsthand, to want to meet the hands that are raising their meat. I think I see it in terms of the way that the industry has shifted towards more bulk buying, which I am so supportive of. And I know that when I was growing up in the 90s, nobody was purchasing a quarter cow or a half a cow. And now this is one of our most requested things at the butcher shop. And I think that this illustrates a desire for that for that deeper connection and to then understand more of what it takes to raise a whole animal, especially as you connect through that, through that bulk buying lens. But I think even just and 
and I think that this is complex, but even the direct-to-consumer shipping models is offering people a chance to support their favorite farms and ranches over the sort of conglomerate of the grocery store and really getting to, to find that point of connection. And so I think that's one of the, the biggest shifts that I've seen just over from childhood to now. Right. Well, and even that shift within the last three years when we we're living through COVID and the supply chain broke. Yes. And we had to figure out where did it break? And there was no food in the grocery store. So where does the food come from? Well, the food comes from farmers. Are there farmers near me that have this food? Let me look. And that could have been the first time that somebody actually looked into the local agricultural producers in their area. And, you know, it's a trend that I don't think died. I still talk to people to this day that they are continuing to have to grow to meet the local demand. So local food is very sexy and it's a lot sexier than I ever remember it being. And like you said, growing up in the 90s, we went to Costco. That's where we bought our food from and wherever Costco got it from, I had no idea. Exactly. And I think that this, I think a lot of groundwork got laid in the early aughts with Michael Pollan and and some of the movement in restaurants to look at farm to table. And I think that there was such a beautiful acceleration point over the last three years where we saw food chains break down, exactly like you said. In your opinion, in what you've seen and what you've experienced as a producer, what needs to be improved when it comes to the promotion of animal proteins? Hmm. I think that's a really great question. I think there are a couple of things that come to mind. I think number one is a celebration of processors and slaughterhouses. We might wear t-shirts and ball caps that rep our local farm or our local butcher shop or our local farm-to-table restaurant, but we do not celebrate this part of the food chain. And it is a critical part of the food chain, as we just discussed. And so I think that that has to be a piece of it. And I think that the other thing I would lo- really love to see improved is the image of ground meat. And for those of us that are producing and selling whole animals, we know how much ground meat there is and that that can also oftentimes be a rate limiting factor in the growth of our farms. And I want to celebrate with something that is both incredibly nutrient dense. It is full of a really nice meat to fat ratio. It has a beautiful amino acid composition where you're going to get not just the methionine from lean muscle meats, but also a lot of connective tissue that's been ground to make it more palatable, which is really perfect for us because we're getting some glycine and collagen in there too. And it's fun. It's versatile. And so I really want to see uh, as a group for, especially for consumers to connect with something that makes a really easy weeknight meal and also makes it possible for farmers and ranchers to grow their businesses. Yeah, for sure. I have to say ground meat is like my go-to because you really can't screw it up. (laughs) 
<laughs> I think I think I eat ground meat at least, if not, probably eat it once or twice a day. I've already I've already had ground meat today, and I I might have a burger again for dinner, and so that's twice that I'll eat ground meat. And my husband and I actually we save the the quote unquote good steaks, the New York strips and the ribeyes for trade. That's how that's how I get vegetables in the summer and things like that. And we can never get enough ground meat. It's my favorite. That's awesome. So one of your biggest pieces for you, Kate, is the connection and the connection to consumers and the connection to our food. You have started something that I think is pretty, pretty special. Tell us more about Near Home and what exactly that is and why you chose to start that. So as I spent the last decade connecting consumers and farmers and ranchers, the big question was, well, how do we make more of these connections? They're so vital to our food system. And I think that they also share to put the culture back in agriculture. And this is something that I like to tease out, that agriculture is part of culture. It is part of a community. And that when we are connecting into an ecosystem, it is not just the ecosystem that is comprised of plants and animals and soil. It is also the ecosystem of humans and of our communities and the way that money and trade flows between us and the connections that we make. And so a couple of years back, my husband and I went and we built a farm finder where you could connect to farms right near home that met whatever your criteria were. And so the really neat thing about this farm finder is that it has all these different filtering mechanisms. So you can find grass-fed and you can find milk or you can find different species of animals. If you're looking for goat, if you're looking for bison, you can find those things. If certain certifications matter to you, you can filter it out based on American Grass-Fed Association or Biodynamic and things like that. And we really wanted to create that space to help people find their food and find that connection point. And I think that is so special of thinking outside of yourself. Like you yourself, you have your own animals, you have your own butcher shop. You could have easily said, I'm going to try and provide meat for the entire country. I am going to be able to ship across the country to whomever wants it, wherever. But instead... Why not take your passion for community and build a bigger table for others to also join in sharing what they produce for their communities? So love that. Thank you for doing that. What a great service. And I will be sure uh, to link near home in our show notes so people can find it and connect with it and connect with other farmers that could be so close to them and they wouldn't even know. Yeah. I think that's the magic. And I think that it's actually a kind of fun chance for us to mirror the really collaborative community in the soil. I think about this a lot. I'm, I'm a bit of a soil nerd and I love the soil food web. And I think about the 1 billion microorganisms in a single teaspoon of soil that are collaborating at the root of the plant to bring minerals and nutrients into our eventual food sources. And I think it really is actually a great role model for how we can build more collaboration above ground to bring food and nutrients to consumers. That is a tagline if I've ever heard one, Kate. <laughs> That's amazing. That is so good. 
Kate, I want to ask, do you have any advice for the fellow first generations out there that are just looking at getting started? Yes. And I think that the advice that, you know, we could explore could probably fill a whole nother couple of podcasts. But I think one of my biggest points becoming a first generation farmer is to really become an observer. I find that when you're in the city, oftentimes we develop this sort of tunnel vision. We're just in our own little bubbles and we don't look outside of ourselves. It's busy, it's noisy, and maybe that's just coming from this sensitive kid. But when you go out onto the farm, there's a really incredible opportunity to witness all of these different complex relationships that are layered on top of one another. And it requires a moment of sitting back and taking a breath and allowing your vision to, to become panoramic again, to get out of that foveated and closed in myopic city vision and to see the big picture and everything that's unfolding. I think so much of being a farmer is being able to catch all of these different relationships between the weather and the plants and the animals and the wildlife that are all at play at once. And so I think just as a small entry point, I would offer work on becoming an observer and see what unfurls from that space. That is perfect wisdom for really anybody starting anything. It is. And yeah. <laughs> honestly, I think, you know, we can we can sometimes fight amongst ourselves and all of the things, but I truly think that our industry is truly special in a way that there are people out there willing to share their wisdom and knowledge because they know at the end of the day, when they share that with you, you're taking that and you're learning from it and you're able to move on to do great things like grow food for an ever-changing world that needs more food, frankly. Oh, yes. I couldn't agree more. And you touched on something that I think is so important, which is make connections. Make connections with your neighboring farmers that have been here. You know, there's I have a, a gentleman up the road who he's in his 80s now and he's grown hay for all that time. And one of my favorite things to do is to stand in a field with that man and talk about grass. And it is an incredible opportunity to learn and to have wisdom passed down and to also ask for help. And I think this has actually been one of my biggest lessons as a first-generation farmer is that we're so used to doing things on our own and independently. And this is not just an opportunity to be an observer, to be a community member, but to to ask for help, to build that that bridge and to connect with people in that way and to build what is an interdependent system of food producers in rural areas. Kate, you know, I feel like I know you. We are the delicate souls, the city slickers who came into this rough and tumble industry and are are making our names for ourselves uh, through podcasting. So tell us about your podcast and when you started, what it's all about, all the things. 
So my podcast is almost a year old and it's called Mind, Body and Soil. And it's about a lot of what we've talked about throughout this podcast, which is the deep interconnections that we find between these places. One of the things I've been really interested to explore is this idea that oftentimes when we talk about nature or the environment, we talk about it as if it's outside of us, as if we are not a part of it. And I really want to explore the fact that we are inextricably intertwined. And there's this beautiful interplay that happens between our bodies and our landscapes. And you can see this either in the flow of nutrients that we talked about that happens in the soil food web at the plant root into the plant and into a ruminant that's munching on that grass and takes in those nutrients that we then eat and this beautiful cycle of connection. And then the blood we spill on our land that gives back back nitrogen and bones that give back phosphorus into into the landscape to re-nourish that soil food web and the beautiful conversation that is happening there but also between our bodies and our minds as those nutrients flow into into our bodies and become a part of our DNA a part of our epigenetics and flow between our brains between our nervous system and sort of maybe influence our thoughts a little bit, right? Even your brain has a microbiome, which is pretty wild, and begins to change. And then those thoughts form the actions that we go out into the world with. And so there's this really beautiful closed loop that happens. And I think that everything that happens within that loop is fodder for the Mind, Body, and Soil podcast, and just exploring this level of connectedness. That's amazing. I could... I could hear you talk about your podcast all day. So <laughs> for the listeners who would like to hear your podcast, where can they find it? Yeah, so they can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Google, any of these spaces by searching Mind, Body, and Soil. If you go to groundworkcollective.com, you can find a little link for Near Home and also all the episodes of the podcast. There's about 50 of them to explore with experts, farmers, people all across the agriculture and health spectrum. And you can find the butcher shop. And we actually just opened up a small little Western Daughters kitchen at westerndaughters.com too. Awesome. Well, all of those links will be in the show notes for, for people to find you and connect with you and all of the good things. So, Kate, we are going to move on to the rapid fire segment. All right. I'm here. Are I'm you ready. ready? You're ready? I'm ready. I'm okay. ready. I'm ready. I think I, I'm ready too, I think. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm going to start off with an easy one for you. As a butcher, what is your favorite cut of beef and why? Mm, I mean, ground meat is up there, but I have to throw out a, a flat iron that hasn't been denuded. So it has the, the full tendon in it. Slow roasted in the oven for eight hours is one of my favorite cuts because that tendon, and it's a big, it's a big fat tendon, absolutely melts into this delicious and unctuous and velvety pile of goo. Um, Ooh, but shank, shank is up there too. That that is a that's a hard question. Well, I thought it would be easy, but then looking back, I guess for <laughs> a butcher, it's probably not that easy. <laughs> a lot of good cuts out there. Anything that gets gooey, that's my that's my favorite. That's the good stuff. All right, 
What is the most useful tool that you have for your business? And when I say your business, it could be your podcast, it could be your butcher shop, it could be your homestead, anything. What is the most useful tool you have for your business? Most useful. And it, should it be a tangible or an intangible tool? Whatever you think. <laughs> mm. Gosh, I mean, at a really logical level, I just have to say my my mouth and the ability to communicate and also to know when to keep it closed and to just listen <laughs> <laughs> at its most basic. But the other thing that came to mind is a bench scraper. I don't think I use a single tool throughout butchery, farming, not so much podcasting and cooking as much as I use a, a pastry knife or a bench scraper. So I, I just want to give that one a shout out. That's a good basic one. If there was one chore that you never had to do again, what would it be <laughs> and why? One chore that I never have to do again. Oh, on the farm or in the house? What kind of chores are we talking here? I would say farm chore. Oh, I'm tempted to say putting up hay in the summer. That is a, that is a big one. Uh, but there's also something, and, and I have to say this, there is something about working a butcher shop on Thanksgiving or putting up hay in the summer that is a giant suffer fest. And it's what you remember the most. And it is also where you get, you get all of, all of your employees and all of your team members together, all of your neighbors, and that it really creates connection. And so I think I might, I might have to take that one back. Hmm. That's very fair. Putting grain away in the grain bin. Not a good community job. Nope, not a good community job. I'd be, rather be a supervisor uh, yeah. than a participant mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. that chore, for sure. Yep, I concur. <laughs> Kate, my last question for you is, what is the most rewarding part about being a rural woman for you? I think it's twofold. On a personal level from childhood, there is this opportunity to be in this big connected space that my nervous system so craves and to walk into that barn with the goats and to feel only covered love and no judgment. I think I really resonate with that. But I think it has been at its core getting to connect with people and to build community. This is been the most amount of times that we've had people over for dinner and just gotten to connect with our neighbors, both, both just right around us and a little bit further out and to learn to ask for help and to really build those connections that I think are so important. All of those things are so beautiful. And I think what brings us back is is our connection so i'm so happy that we were able to connect here today on the so podcast am and so am i i'm such a big fan so this was this was really special for me i i am your biggest fan right now so there you go we got that in common so for the listeners who would like to connect with you online let's go with instagram where can they find you on instagram you can find me at Kate, K-A-T-E underscore Kavanaugh, K-A-V-A-N-A-U-G-H. That's mainly where I hang out. There's also at Western Daughters. Perfect. And I will link all of the links to your websites, the podcasts, the Instagrams, all of the things in the show notes. So that's where people can find you and connect with you. So yeah. And I love to connect. So please, I mean, please reach out if you feel called. Yeah, absolutely. Kate, it has been my pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with us today. I truly appreciate it. Thank you, Caitlin, for having me on. It is my biggest pleasure. 
Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast, a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network. The Rural Woman Podcast is more than just a podcast. We are a community. A huge thank you to the Rural Woman Podcast team, audio editor Max Hofer, and admin support from Kim & Co. Online. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producers, Sarah Reedner from Happiness by the Acre and Carrie Munven from Laystone Farms. To learn how you can become a Patreon executive producer or other ways to financially support the show, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more. Be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast to get the latest episodes directly on your playlist. And if you are loving the show, please be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that accepts ratings and reviews. You can connect with us on social media at The Rural Woman Podcast and with me at Wild Rose Farmer. One of the best ways you can support the show is by sharing it. Send this episode to a friend or share on your social media. Let's strengthen and amplify the voices of women in agriculture together. Until next time, my friend, keep sharing your story. This week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast is brought to you by the patrons of the Rural Woman Podcast. This amazing group of individuals contribute financially to the Rural Woman Podcast to ensure the stories of women in agriculture hit your earbuds each and every week. Want to join them in supporting the stories of women in agriculture while getting access to extended episodes, patron-only episodes, and other great perks? Head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more about how you can become a patron through Patreon.